Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. And please take some time to rate and comment on it. This is episode 39. And as 2020 starts to wind down, we have another exciting episode. We just want to thank everyone that has supported us over the course of this year. And we pray that you will all have a blessed Christmas. For today's episode, I'll be handing over the hosting responsibilities to another one of our Birding Life team, Calvin Harris. And he'll be chatting to some guests all about house crows and the challenges that they present. He'll be chatting to guests from KwaZulu-Natal as well as a guest all the way from Tanzania. But before I hand over to Kelvin, two young birders, Mark Haystack and Justin Ponder, managed to create a twitching storm in South Africa last week as they discovered a mega-rare buff-breasted sandpiper in the Cape. Let's listen as they share the story behind the special find. Hey guys, it's Mark Haystack and Justin Ponder here. Today is the 20th of December. This morning we woke up on the edges of full flow from our tent um, and started scanning the mud flats for any plovers or sandpipers. Yeah, while standing there in the rain, we, we spotted two very unusual waders waiting on the edge of the pan. And we, we took a look at it and thought, that can't be a wood sandpiper, but there's nothing else to, that we could compare it to. It's, it just looked so unusual. So Justin got a few shots and we had a look at it. So we just started scrolling through some of the birds on our Robert's app and then we found that we found the buff-breasted sandpiper and we thought no this is identical. It's there was nothing else we could compare it to but at that moment we didn't want to just send the message out there saying hey there's a buff-breasted sandpiper here come see it. So, so we sent we, the image to Trevor Hardacre. He walked into a bit of a signal area and sent the message. And then his response was, when we got into more signal, but later was that they were on their way. Yeah, so at that moment, our uh, the rest of our crew had arrived. So there was a whole lot of high fives going on and loud clapping. So we probably scared another rare or two away that was hiding somewhere there. But we, yeah, we spotted our buff-breasted sandpipers and um, it was just such a shock. But uh, soon after, we had twitches pitching up from all over the place. By the, at the one stage, at about 1.30 in the afternoon, we had about 40, 40 birders just standing on the edge of the pan there watching this pair yeah. of buff-breasted sandpipers. And we reckon there was a total of about 100 people, if not more, but at least 100 who came today. So it was, it was quite a thing to see and witness as something that I could so, say. Yeah, that we were just so proud of ourselves for doing. Yeah, we were like, what have we done? <laughs> Having all these people drive all the way down from Cape Town to see this crazy pair of birds that we've just managed to spot on the edge of the flay. Yeah, but uh, that is how an ordinary day of birding turned into one of the biggest twitches of the garden route. So you never know. Keep an eye out on your next bird outing. You might just find something special. You never know what might pitch up. Thanks, Mark and Justin, for sharing that exciting story. If you'd like to hear a little bit more about their story, they were guests on episode 7 of the Youth Birding Podcast. Go check out that episode and hear all about their story. If you have a story that you'd like to share, simply send us a voice note and we will look to include it in the show. We can't wait to hear your story. So now I hand over to Kelvin as he chats to today's guests. Righty, welcome everyone. Um, my name is Calvin Harris uh, from The Birding Up. Uh, you may recognize a slightly different voice to what you used to uh, on our regular podcast from Adam. Um, he's taking a break this week where I'm picking up a topic that's quite close to my heart and I've got two fantastic guests uh, online today. Um, the topic of hand is, is something that's quite close to my heart after, after spending a brief, uh, a brief 
vacation on Zanzibar Island in December 2019, I, I was struck and absolutely bemused by the amount of house crows um, that I saw, not only at the resort that I was staying at, at the northern point of Zanzibar in the Nungui area, but all throughout the island and the surrounding islands as well. And uh, I witnessed firsthand what, what, what destruction this alien invasive species can cause. And in, in doing so, I met up with the local bird guide, Andrew Ndenge, which uh, you're going to hear from a little bit later after this initial discussion about, about what we've got together and what we started doing and possibly how you as a listener can get involved in, in trying to control the species. So I'm not the expert. I've got two fantastic experts uh, online with me today. And um, just a brief introduction of the two gentlemen that I have online with me today is, um, first of all, we're going to start off with Mr. Kumlani Tongwane, who's an alien invasive species monitor for Wild Trust, uh, who are in partnership with Ezebelo Kazidan Wildlife. Uh, in terms of his background, he's got a bachelor's degree in environmental management from CPUT down in Cape Town, um, and has worked in the space of nature conservation for a number of years. Um, he started as a National Research Foundation intern based in Ezebelo Kazidan Wildlife before moving across to Wild Trust. During this time, he's been dealing with a range of alien invasive species throughout KwaZulu-Natal and has a strong focus on house crows. My second guest today is Mr. Ian Rushworth. He's a scientific manager at Ezembelo Kazele Waba, the Provincial Conservation Authority for the province of KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa. In terms of his background, he's got a master's degree in conservation biology from the University of Cape Town and has worked in formal nature conservation in KwaZulu-Natal for 28 years, going on more than that. During this time, he's been responsible primarily for providing scientific advice for the development of conservation strategies and management plans and direct decision support for protected area management. As alien invasive species are such a major threat to biodiversity and livelihoods across the globe, he's increasingly become involved in local, provincial and national strategies to manage their impacts and is involved in a number of uh, advisory bodies and forums relating to alien invasive species. So that's quite a mouthful, gentlemen. I don't think my, uh, my bio would be uh, anything uh, similar to that. But um, I want to welcome you onto the Birding Out podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedules. Um, the work that you both are involved in is, is, is heavily important. And um, yeah, I'd just like to welcome you on the show. Thanks so much, Calvin. And it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you and Pumlani. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Calvin. My little pleasure. Okay. So I think I'm going to jump straight into some of the, the meaty questions that we've, uh, we've got on the, on the show here. So if you can start off by... Uh, Ian, I'll bring you in here first. If you can start by telling the public about this house crow project that you're involved in and why it's so important. Great, thanks, Calvin. Um, so, for those that aren't aware, the house crow is a, a type of crow from the Indian subcontinent that has now spread widely across the world and invaded many, many different countries. So, there's at least 24 different countries across the world where the species has invaded and probably an equal number where it has arrived, but not yet reached reached large numbers. And so it's it's one of these very smart birds, and it's also sort of commensal with man. It's it's very used to living with people and uh, unafraid of them, and and actually chooses to live in sort of urban areas. Um, so so basically, with the increase in trade around the world, it's become a bit of a stowaway on ships, um, either. Yeah, either just getting on the ship and, and then it jumps off at the next port. And so around the world, it's invading sort of coastal habitats. Um, and, you know, when it, when it gets there, it, it causes um, a lot of problems. Um, and, you know, so in particular, uh, biodiversity-related problems. So for those that are interested in birds, it's a massive risk to, to small birds in particular. It, it, it either kills them or raids the nests. And there's been a number of documented cases where, where it's had huge impacts on local bird populations. Um, but also, because they get together in big groups and they're quite aggressive, they can even uh, displace uh, larger predators like owls and eagles. Um, we had a report recently from KwaZulu-Natal here in South Africa of, of a group of crows attacking a secretary bird, which is quite a large predatory predatory bird. Um, so they can have a big impact on, on bird populations. They can have a big impact on small mammals, uh, reptiles, amphibians, and so on. But 
you know, uh, in addition to those biodiversity issues, there's a whole range of um, sort of social and community and economic impacts that they have also. And, you know, Pumlani would probably be in a better place to talk about that. Uh, you know, because of those issues, we, we, we need to then try and manage these impacts and reduce their invasion around the world. So, so that's quite interesting. So you say that the, the, the spread of the species is, is purely based on, on man's movement around the world through trade and, and, and the like. Is there, has there been any sort of natural spread um, outside of uh, sort of, you, you mentioned, I think that they originate from, from the East or, or, or Asia. Um, have they not sort of uh, naturally distributed uh, throughout Europe or, or anything like that? Yeah, look, there's possibly some um, local level spread in in the Indian subcontinent, you know, so, so India, Pakistan, Myanmar, those sort of areas is natural range. You probably find there has been some level of spread, um, you know, as humans have come to dominate the landscape more and, and create more suitable habitat for them. There's probably been some limited amount of sort of you know, moving between cities and towns, but most of the movement has been via ships. Um, and, and, you know, across continents. So there's, there's no way a bird could get from where their natural range is to South America or North America uh, or to Australia uh, or to, you know, the southern tip of Africa. So, so all of those have been uh, via human uh, interventions, most of it probably sort of accidental with birds, you know, getting on ships and then the ship sails off and, and um, then they, when they see land, when the ship gets too close to its destination, they fly off the ship on, and establish on the land. In some cases, people have taken them as pets. And I think there's occasionally instances where, uh, and I think Zanzibar may have been one of them, where they were deliberately introduced um, to try and sort out another problem. But um, yeah, most of it, uh, you'd say the majority of their movement around the world is, is directly and indirectly related to the activities of man. So that's a, it's not a natural uh, sort of range expansion. And, and I know we're going to touch on it a little bit later, but just um, just for the listeners, how, how long has this been a problem or how, how long have pastoralists been a problem, not only in KZN, but in South Africa in particular? So in South Africa, the first record was from 1972. So, you know, time flies, but um, so that's nearly 50 years ago. So that was from Durban. Um, and again, you know, like we're seeing in the rest of the world, it arrived at the harbour port first and then it established there. And then in the 1980s, they arrived in Cape Town. And then probably in the mid to late 2000s, uh, sort of in the Richards Bay area. So those were sort of the first three uh, known established populations. But since then, they've subsequently spread further inland in, in both the Western Cape and in KwaZulu-Natal. And they, there are sightings now in the Eastern Cape province also. And in that time, they've also established now at Volfus Bay in Namibia. And there's a very healthy population at Maputo and, and further up the coast in, um, in Mozambique. Yeah, so we are getting pockets uh, popping up. Now, um, Pumlani, um, I understand that you are very involved in the, in the project from a, from a local community level. Can you perhaps just tell the listeners about your day-to-day -day involvement in the project and, and some of the some of the impacts you've experienced in the, in the community from the house project? Oh, thank you so much, Kelvin. So basically, what we what I am doing, I, I started with, you know, going out on a day-to-day -day basis to to look for them. And we, we had an understanding that I think around uh, 2016 in a small township called Eskawin here in KwaZulu-Natal, they were reported as the, you know, there was a success in terms of uh, eradicating them because there was nothing that was reported in 2016. But come 2019, when I went there to do some survey, and I found a huge number of them uh, in around Eskawin. So what I would do, I would just uh, GPS the coordinates of uh, where I saw the birds and also, but most importantly, what we, we are uh, looking for is the nesting site and the roosting site because they tend to treat these two sites differently. Uh, so we would GPS those because as part of trying to maintain the population since we are still trying to formulate 
a, a way or a strategy in trying to dealing with them. So I, I was, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I would go out and try to take down the nest of, of these house crows because in trying to ensure that the population doesn't explode. But also I would, I would interview the communities about uh, the feelings uh, uh, of them having these birds in their community and also do some sort of awareness uh, and the, the impact that these birds have on the on the environment also on 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 on, on their health because they also pose some some threat and they, they have to they do have you know some uh, uh, health issues that they they come with so i would go out on a day to day basis and trying to to do that I think that's very interesting. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to hear from Andrew a little bit later in his statement from the, from the house person Zanzibar, but one of his big frustrations was to try and get the local community to realize that, that house crows do pose an actual health threat to you. A lot of people, you know, who, who perhaps don't have a quite an understanding of birds or perhaps don't live in the area where they see them, that they just simply see them, oh, well, they're a bit of a nuisance bird, they might steal a bit of scrap food off your plate if you're at a resort, for example. But people don't seem to realize that they do carry diseases. Um, can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that and, and, and what, some, you know, what are the kind of diseases that, that house growers might carry or, or some of the actual harm that they might, that they might inflict? So for human beings, I know that they carry a bacteria that causes salmonella uh, to human beings, but also they carry a, a bacteria here in South Africa, it causes a disease called Newcastle in, for the chickens. So it does have those uh, small, uh, you know, health uh, issues. Okay, all right, perfect. And um, you know, again, just just speaking to, to to the locals in the community because I think that this is the most important thing, given given how vast our country is, and, and I know you're speaking about more of a localized area in KwaZulu Natal. We, you know, we want to educate as many people as possible. Are, are, are those uh, people in the community, are they, are they aware of, of house crows and they take a note of them? I mean, you mentioned that, um, that they do cause a bit of disturbance, but to the average person walking on the street, does he look at a house crow and see that as a nuisance? I would say because when, when I first arrived and the community, I mean, because I engaged with the, the you know, the local structures and when the community, the community members, they kept on seeing me, you know, looking at these birds, looking for their nest, they engaged, they came to me trying to engage and trying to find out what am I ex- exactly doing? So I explained to them that actually I'm dealing with this bird called a house crow. And they said, these uh, blackish ones, and I said, yes. So they said, we, we really don't know where do these birds come from because when we grew up, we didn't have these birds. And mm-hmm. suddenly we have a number of them and we don't know where do they come from and we don't want them here. And they all sing in one voice in terms of these birds, them, you know, don't wanting that those beds in in, in the in in the, in their environment so and you know i was happy to see that our people they 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 see when their environment is changing so that is why we are very much involved in trying to ensure that we we try to deal with this problem as soon as possible okay that's that's really interesting that they've, that they've picked up on the change of the demographic and, and as ian was saying earlier that's it's kind of only been in the last 50, probably less years, in, uh, more inland at least. And, and for those listeners uh, who, who perhaps aren't, aren't within the borders of South Africa, we do have a, a local crow species, which we call it, it's a, it's a pied crow, which is a, very, it's a black and white crow, and it has a very distinct white breast and, and um, I think white rump. I just don't have a picture in front of me right now. But, you know, there is a very a big distinction between a house crow and, and our local pie crow, not only from a size, but a coloration point. So that's, that's really interesting to hear. Ian, I'm going to bring you back in here. Um, you know, alien invasive species control or, you know, human rights, I mean, sorry, animal rights, at least uh, around the world is, is always a very hot topic. What would you say to someone that, that believes that no animal should be harmed, um, no matter whether man has introduced it to the local area or not? I mean, how, uh, surely you've encountered this sort of resistance, if I can say that. And what, what would your response be to that? 
you know, it's interesting, uh, the human response to some of these things. So when we talk about controlling alien plants, generally people are quite comfortable with that. Uh, once you start talking about controlling or managing alien animals, we, we tend to just naturally have more an affinity for them. So we, we do get concerned about animals and, and harm to them. And, and I guess, yeah, that's quite a good thing that people do have this affinity for animals because, you know, we need to look after the natural world. But, you know, what people don't always understand is the the impact of allowing for these invasions to to continue. And and perhaps what Pumlani could have emphasized more is, you know, some of these sort of social and economic impacts. So, so in that same area where he's working, local people who rely a lot on poultry for their own food, you know, they, they raise their own chickens. Um, these crows uh, eat the eggs, they eat the chicks, and they, they outcompete the adults for food. So in places like Tanzania, you've had sometimes like a 50 to 60% decline in, in, in the amount of poultry that's available for people. So in poor countries in Africa, um, you're talking about a real social problem when, and, and food security actually that's affected. You know, they also eat a lot of the, the crops and the, the fruit that people try and grow. Pumlani was telling me about another example of a school where the, the headmaster is complaining like anything about these crows because it's disrupting the classes. The teachers have to speak louder to be heard. Um, the children are being distracted. Um, the playgrounds are being uh, messed up with all of the crow poop. So, um, you know, you've got these very real socioeconomic um, impacts that that happen. So um, at the end of the day, we've got to con consider that. And then as I was saying earlier, you know, there's, a, there's a very big biodiversity impact in terms of other bird species, uh, other reptiles, amphibians, mammals, and so on. So given that, that man has caused this problem, unfortunately, we've got to try and sort of manage that problem. Um, whenever control measures are considered, um, all of the ethical issues are are looked at very carefully, and we normally have ethics committees that look into this to make sure that the most humane methods possible are used. Um, and you know, so you started looking at you start looking at non-lethal methods to try and either discourage them or reduce their breeding, that type of thing. Um, but if if we have to end up um, actually controlling or killing birds, then it's it has to be signed off by. The, the relevant authorities to make sure that the people doing it are properly trained so it's done in the most ethical and most humane manner. So we're very conscious to the need to do that. But if we don't do it, well, let me just take a step back. With alien invasions, um, you have a very short window of opportunity to actually make a difference. And so if we let the numbers get beyond a certain level, then we will lose any opportunity to ever control the numbers. And um, that means that in perpetuity, forever, from now onwards, you know, those, those ecosystems will be changed. Those impacts will be there uh, for future generations. And so we have to take those tough decisions as early as possible in the invasion process and aim to, to sort of control those numbers or eradicate the species. Oh, that's, really, that's really interesting because I think, I think a lot of people, like you said, if, if it's an alien-based plant or everyone, well, let me say this again, Everybody likes rats, so whenever someone sees a rat, they can very quickly identify that it's vermin and that it shouldn't be there. But not necessarily everyone might look at a bird and and and, and think that it's such a it could be such a problem at least or or the ones and twos. Um, I, I've certainly just in, in my sort of birding in and around the Durban area, I've started to notice a small, slight increase of of house crows around, uh, certainly around the Gandhi River area, then towards um you know going towards the harbour as well. So as you say before, you know, these little uh, sort of corruptions, if I can say that, aren't, aren't kept in check and very quickly spread to a situation which I promise you nobody wants to see. Yeah, um, I, was, I was so interested in your comment about sorry, Zanzibar yeah. and all the impacts in Zanzibar um, because, yeah, that's a bit of a glimpse into the future for, for South Africa, you know, those, it's actually a huge menace um, to people and the environment. And, yeah, it's quite easy when there's low numbers for people to say, well, what are you worried about? You know, I'm not seeing any impact. It's not affecting me. But, you know, as scientists, we, uh, well, not even as scientists, but if you could look at other situations where they've established, you could start anticipating the types of impacts that we'll have if we don't intervene now. Uh, and Pumlani was telling me about another paper he read where actually airports have had to close because these birds become a collision risk for um for for aircraft and and so that that's how it gets to because these things form massive flocks um that that really get together they make a huge amount of noise but but when you get a big flock like that flying in front of an aircraft it, it becomes a massive risk and 
Yeah, and, and as you said, I wasn't aware of the study until he pointed it out to me recently. But they literally actually had to close an, uh, an airport or several airports because of this uh, invasion. Whereabouts was that for money? So the, the study was done in India. So where the, the aviation companies, they ended up pulling out because they spent more money in repairing the, the flight engines than, you know, getting some profit because these birds, the way they would collide with these, uh, with these uh, airplanes and then they will be sucked in the engines. So the engines, the lifespan of an engine will end up, you know, being cut into half. So they will have to reservice the engine more regularly than, you know, the, engine, the, the flight itself should be on air making money. So a lot of aviation companies, they ended up pulling out and then airports were closed. So it... it, it these are the issues that we are looking at as, as Africa, as South Africa, if we don't do anything with these house crows, because we, as Ian has pointed out, that we have a, 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 an opportunity of doing something now. Because if we don't, we will have those uh, issues that in India, for example, that they, they, they have faced. So we, we don't want that. We are a developing country. We still want our economy to, do, to grow. So we can't be dealing with alien invasive species that target or attack the economy. Because in the economy, we, we, we have also the, 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 the tourism. But if you have house crows, house crows, as Ian again pointed out, that they don't fear people. So tourists, they don't feel comfortable when they would see these these birds coming into them, you know, taking their stuff in their hands, attacking them because they would be trying to uh, defend their nest. So the tourism industry, it, 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 it can be affected. We've seen that in, 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 in cities like Mombasa. So we, 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 we don't want that in South Africa. But also in a country like South Africa, you know, these, these house crows, since they use wire, to construct their nests. So because of the, 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 the infrastructure we have, our electricity goes via poles. So they would construct a nest in a, in a transformer. So you know what happens when you short circuit the you know, electricity. So the, the transformer will, will burst. And then the money that the municipality should be using for service delivery. So now they have to take that money to repair these, these transformers. So there is a setback also in service delivery due to what? Due to these house crows. I'd love to see a headline one day saying that. Uh... Uh, a municipality is without power because of uh, house crows uh, making nests there. I think that uh, people will not believe that at all. That's amazing. Okay. So, so, so I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, and I wasn't even aware of that, uh, that issue at the, the airport, which is a huge uh, economic uh, impact on the, on the local area. For money, staying with you, for, for anyone that's listening to, to this discussion today, and if they, they might have noticed a, a house crow in the area, and, and possibly not knowing how, how potentially damaging that they would be to their local environment and then to spread as well. What can someone do? How, how, does, how does the average man on the street get involved in this project or, or what can they do to support you? Where to from here for any, anyone listening to this podcast? Thank you, uh, Kelvin. So for now, what we, 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 we suggest and we, we pledge people to do is to, and because I give my number freely on my, the, the flyers that I normally dish out to people when I'm talking to them, it, 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 it has my number. So people, they, would, they can WhatsApp me direct or send an email because on the pamphlet, there is everything, every information about uh, the project so they can WhatsApp me or report any sighting to their nearest uh, conservation officer that I know that uh, which will end up with us and we will be the one who will go there and, and, and see and confirm whether that's a true sighting or maybe it was a mistake from, you know, other birds because there is that, you know, misidentification of, of, of house crows. Okay, and um, I, I, I'm a regular user of it, but does the Bird Lasser app, does that play any part? I mean, your, 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 
Um, and again, feel free to jump in where, where applicable. Um, there's a lot of citizen scientists out there. There's a lot of birders that are out in the field walking around. I know every, every now and again, I'm on a few Facebook groups. Um, Dave Rimmer and a few others are, are asking for people to post their sightings online about, about house growers. Is there, is there any sort of, um, uh, partnership that you have with, with these sort of, uh, logging systems or anything like that? Okay, Calvin, so I'll take this one. So yes, we've worked with BirdLife on this. And so they, they have encouraged BirdLife and members and other users of the BirdLasser app to report sightings. And what I do is I then download that data from BirdLife periodically, and we update our distribution map for the country. And then we then task people to go into those areas where the sightings were reported to confirm that the species is there. And then we can add that to our sort of action plan. So that sort of citizen science type approach using apps and reporting it that way has proved to be very useful. In fact, we picked up new sites like that that we didn't know about and sites that were missed in the South African Bird Atlas project and, and other surveys that have been done. So it, it's very, very useful. And we really would encourage all birders, you know, throughout Africa, actually, not just in South Africa, to report sightings using the BirdLasser app. And um, we will then use that to help um, understand the rate of spread, uh, to plan new actions, and ultimately to try and uh, solve this problem. Excellent. Okay. Well, I think um, I think for our US-based uh, users, they, they, they probably make more use of eBird or anyone else uh, listening around the world. But we we do know that um, BirdLasser is a is a global globally used uh, uh, app, and um, I'm not saying that Ian's going to hop on a plane and, and, and fly around and go look for houseboats wherever they may be. But I think the, the overlying message is um, wherever you see an alien based species outside of the compass of its normal range, um, is to is to log it, make uh, make mention of it, raise it with your local uh, environmental officers, like Kimani was mentioning, or your officers in charge at Plexa Reserve. Um, so the more we talk about the species like this, or the more we identify, the more awareness will be raised so that we can stay on top of the, the issue and then not get to a situation where they, where they get out of hand. I, 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 obviously, your your project is being run by Isabel Kazel and Wava. How, how does someone keep track of, of, of latest developments and, and, and what's going on with your projects? Ian or Kuman, let's jump in. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, there is no website or anything like that. So, you know, that's something we would like to look at to provide resources and make them more easily available for people to see. Um, but at the moment, our focus is on developing a national strategy. Um, so we've, we've been working with the Department of Environment, Forestry and Fisheries to, to try and get a national strategy adopted. Um, a key part of that strategy would be the communication you know, with the public and encouraging this sort of citizen science reporting. And so I think coming out of that, hopefully in the next six months to a year, we'll have a much clearer mechanism to communicate what we're doing, what we're trying to do, um, and allowing people to have a much more interactive um, experience with it. So, yeah, I think uh, at the moment it's been pretty much in-house. It's been sort of awareness raising within government, within municipalities. Um, you know, with these things, it's really quite a challenge to make people to make the leap between seeing this as just a biodiversity problem, which many politicians don't really care about, to saying, hold on, this is actually a societal problem. Um, if we don't deal with this, this is going to cause permanent long-term damage to government's objectives around poverty reduction, um, increasing tourism, and things like that. So, so a large part of the challenge is to get people to see these things sort of holistically enough um, that it's not just seen as a a fringe biodiversity thing that the that the you know biodiversity people need to worry about. Cheaper gentlemen, um, that you guys have both given us such a fantastic insight into what's going on. Probably a lot of people listening here wouldn't even realise the scale of the problem that we're not only dealing with KZN but South Africa and potentially Africa as a whole. Based on what we've covered already, is there anything that that you maybe want to leave us with or or, or touch on before we before we close up? Um, yes, I think maybe just one thing to mention is this, you know, potential misidentification with indigenous species. So you mentioned the pied crow earlier, but we also have the cape crow. Some people remember it as the black crow. Now that's much more similar to the house crow. So whereas the cape crow is a sort of a uniform glossy black color, the house crow is slightly smaller and has a sort of a gray brown neck and, and breast. 
So, so that's the main distinguishing, distinguishing feature. And then secondly, the bill of the house crow is slightly more robust than in the Cape crow. Uh, generally, they use slightly different habitats. Cape crows more rural areas, um, whereas the house crow tends to focus more on urban areas. But yeah, you know, it's just important to try and minimize the number of false reports we get uh, with people confusing the Cape crow and the house crow. So just encourage people to just take out the bird book, uh, just check for the differences um, when they're considering reporting sightings. Thanks. But also just to add on the social problems that the house crows they bring. I mean, in a place like Eskawini, there are a lot of street vendors, so they end up losing their, their stock that they are selling to the people due to these house crows because they steal. They even you know, gave them a new name. They call it a thieving bird. And also people, they don't have or get enough sleep due to these house crows because every three after, 3 uh, 3:30 a.m. They would wake up and they would make a huge noise and wake up everybody. So people they complain that they don't have enough sleep due to these birds. Okay, so so obviously the chickens have been replaced by the house crows now, and that's uh, and, and that's quite a problem. I mean, the life is difficult as it is in, in rural areas, and now we've got this added element that. Uh, that's contributing to a lot of irritation. And as you say, if street vendors are having their stock being taken away from them, um, you know, they, they can't be too chuffed about that and obviously wanting some sort of impact. Gentlemen, uh, I want to thank you both for your time and, and the work that you do. I think it's probably, I stand to be corrected here, but it's probably a very thankless job that you guys want to hold it. Um, there's not a lot of people that know what you do. And, and I'm hoping that by giving by giving you a platform like this, and I, I do encourage other other platforms as well to, to get you on board, to do webinars, workshops, get the word out there as much as possible, because I've seen the impact for myself. And I'm hoping that at least one listener, or maybe two, would, would have their perspective changed on house crows if, if they haven't already, and, and wanting to get involved with you. So I just want to thank you both for your time. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank Thanks for having us. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Hi everyone, so this is uh, Calvin Harris from The Birding Life and I've got a fantastic guest here uh, today, Mr. Andrew Majembe, who's all the way in Tanzania. Um, he covers uh, Tanzania and Zanzibar in terms of bird tours and wildlife expeditions and we've got him on here to speak about a special project that him and I have been speaking about and, and, and working on behind the scenes since around about December 2019 before the world was taken over by COVID-19. And I'm really excited to, uh, to to have Andrew talk about the project and about himself. So I'll let him introduce himself first and then go on to tell us a little bit more about what he gets up to in Tanzania and the kind of tours that he can offer. So over to you, Andrew, let's, uh, let's hear it. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, as uh, uh, Kevin has been, uh, give a little uh, brief about me. I am uh, a Tanzania big builder and I'm, I'm Covering all the Tanzania wide for for bird watching and uh, wildlife safari. The the, the interesting is uh, through these uh, 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 birding and uh, conservation. Then we uh, cut across to a very special mark, uh, which is a uh, a threat to the bird watching, and that is Indian owl scroll. Um, to just make it comfortable, word then we have to find uh, some. Some, some alternative way to control these uh, alien species. Indian Ausco was introduced in Tanzania in, uh, in, in 1880, and there were only about 50 birds well, uh, at that time. And they were just brought here by British administration. Uh, the idea was just uh, uh, to clean the city of Zanzibar. But we understand the Ausco are the, one of the intelligence birds. You can, you can train them to be in a positive in the environment, but remember, by that time when they were just introduced, they, they just populate. They make a population over and over. At the end, uh, those, the previous ones, the old ones, they lose the, 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 the techniques that were be told by their, the, 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 that have been trained by their, uh, the, the, the older ones. So these, the new ones, uh, they start by themselves, then they turn negative to the environment. And they're the ones now, um, uh, they disturb the, the, the whole ecosystem, uh, especially in the food chain, when you talk about uh, the biological effect of the Indian house crow, 
they disturb uh, the bird eggs and egg and the birds themselves, but also to to the to our uh, um, um, uh, our farms, uh, chick uh, these chickens' farms. You find uh, if you 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 have a free lunch chicken at home, it come and snatch the chicken away, and we have a lot of cases for them. Also, there have been also a big problem in the health. Uh, we told um, if you. Uh, because they spend most of time in the garbages uh, looking for the for whatever to them as a, a very special needs uh, for for us for human beings it's different so this guy wants to just coming from the the garbage and then uh, and come to our, our open uh, semi tank they can uh, transmit diseases uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, evidences and through these birds so this number of these birds so far, because uh, the environmental planning uh, and management has been relaxed, and these birds take advantage of that uh, angle to breed more and more and more. The last population for this bird, the last uh, estimated population for this bird in 2010, which was the, the big last attempt before these ones, we are now uh, trying to organize the bigger ones as well. They were about Two million birds. Now we talk about ten million birds, Tanzania wide. This is heavy and massive uh, mm. uh, um, number. And through this, that's why it brings a lot of problem around uh, uh, Tanzania wide, especially in the coastal zones. You find that they're more dominating in the coastal zone. And this is now we say it's one of the notorious birds that has been disturbing our environment widely, especially. Uh, and the in the bird hotspots. Well, I can certainly attest to that. I, I must be honest. Although I've even I've been speaking to Andrew for for over a year now, I didn't realise that the numbers were so great. And my experience was, um, you know, when I I, stay, I went on a week long holiday up to Nungui, which is the northern tip of Zanzibar. I was astounded at the amount of house crows that I saw there. And that's not even the the the, the worst part of. Um, of the problem in terms of you know where the greatest concentration of house crows are, literally wherever you look, there's a house crow, and the first call that you hear in the morning is a house crow call. It's it's actually devastating. We we are, I'm down here in in Durban, which is um, in KwaZulu Natal in South Africa, and our house crow population I've noticed in the last year or two it's starting to grow substantially in and around the coastal areas as well. And I, I didn't realize that, that, that you know, that's such a, a great habitat for them as well, that their numbers are starting to proliferate. And we are lucky that we, you know, we, we're in a place where there was a, quite a strong house crow control pro, uh, program that was run by the local municipality and they were quite effective. But, you know, th that means constant monitoring, not just a once-off once -off hit. And that's exactly what, what we're seeing now, Andrew, and, and like you've explained in 2010, there was quite a concerted effort um, to control the house crow numbers, but without, you know, getting on top of the problem and maintaining them, you know, their numbers have just exploded again. And this is what we've seen. So why don't you, I mean, you've told us about their impact on the local environment. Obviously, there's an impact on you from, a, from an economic point of view, because you run bird tours on the mainland and on Zanzibar. And if there's no indigenous birds because of the house crows, well, your, your livelihood is directly affected, and that's and that's a massive problem, not only for you, but I'm sure for for many other people that rely on 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 the the natural habitat to make their living. But why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit more about the ideas that we have around the house crow control project and and what what successes we've had so far? Because we don't always want to talk about doom and gloom. We want to talk about the strides that that you've made uh, in going forward and in, in helping to control them. We we just uh, uh, went through to check the traps, uh, which is uh, we we think this there can be appropriate traps to set around uh, the island of Zanzibar because it seems to be the source is too heavy at the Zanzibar side. But also we were just so smart to remember Zanzibar is just a small area. It's, if you can start a project, you will see the impact so easily than uh, to the mainland side. So uh, 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 so far we just come up with the two traps and we want uh, 600 traps. How do we get the, all of them? So we are just uh, um, um, uh, going to the hotels, the, the hotel owners to just to try to tell, to educate about uh, 
uh, environmental control, plus donating the, the trucks. So the, the, the project is on the pipeline. We are just setting up. So we wish um, people from any corner around the world, if they can uh, have a heart touched with uh, what we are doing, uh, it would be uh, super to donate uh, the, the traps charge because one trap, it cost about 250 US just fixing the traps and, and then setting up the, the trap at the appropriate site. Mm -hmm. We have identified the loosting site and feeding area for these crows. And then we understand now number of areas where these crows are feeding. We understand Zanzibar, it has six districts. And we assume at every single district, we need 100 traps, which is a, will be exactly good number to, for the setting up. And for, from this, we, we, we are sure and in a very short period of time, we'll be able to collect a good number of uh, uh, trapped crows and then regulate the number at the last year, um, mm. uh, make, the num make them be controlled. Yeah. So, so, so that's a very, very good point. And, you know, what we obviously want to do is, is that these are still creatures and we want to, we want to dis, uh, dispose of, of these crows in the most humane way possible. And the, and the best way we've decided is apart from poisoning, which has a lot of adverse effects and side effects and, and bycatch, as it were, the, so the actual physical trapping of, of the house crow seems to work the best. But you spoke earlier about the intelligence um, of these crows. Is it true that house crows can actually learn uh, what the traps look like, and they can learn to avoid the areas where the traps are. Yes, they are. If you remember, uh, people thought the second uh, IQ creature after human being is uh, apis, these uh, plimates. And you are wrong. The second is a uh, crow. Crow, they can learn to use uh, a tool um, for other other business. And then there have been some studies in uh, in America show that crow can now start imitating human uh, human human voice he can go same same like the pilots the way he do so mm. it's how general in the in the in the, in the, in the brain catching and easy learners they can learn things so fast so um, our school they are very smart so even the in the methodology the way we catch them we we we, we advise um, um, people once we set the traps and then you should and the, the the trap scroll should be should be killed at the at the, at the night hours because uh, anything uh, anything happens to their fellows if they see their fellows in the traps then a quick lane there's uh, that is not a, a place for feeding it's a trap then uh, we'll have another challenge to find out we can kill them so uh, I mean to trap them so um, they are so easy to learn things especially when it's in a dangerous situation. They are very smart, intelligent birds. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. And um, and and how have you found the response from the hotel owners? Um, I'll I'll give you my account. I, when when I was there in December 2019, like I mentioned, I found the house crows to be an absolute nuisance. You know, they were stealing food off tables. Um, you've spoken about the disease aspect as well. I didn't. You know, before we we had this discussion, I didn't actually approach. The hotel manager about wanting to control the numbers but how have you found the response from the hotel owners in zanzibar about wanting to control the, the numbers of the house crows in the area the the owners of hotel they are willing to start the project the thing now is we uh, since we just came up with the idea of the project and then we we had some uh, covid 19 and then mm. the economic uh, the, the economic they got some economic threats to, to the in their pocket so they yeah. They can't uh, decide at the moment. They need to wait until when they uh, are the proper uh, proper time when the season of the guests start. Because uh, yeah. there are not so many people now traveling around. But they mm. really want the project to, uh, to mm. happen. We went to the uh, Walele or and in, in the north Nungui, mm -hmm. uh, in the north uh, Zanzibar, Nungui, Nungu, uh, Nung beaches, in the north beaches of uh, Zanzibar, and then these people they were. They are willing to start. Uh, um, um, and they say they just give a go ahead. Then mm. town uh, we had uh, a problem of Corona, and then mm. uh, they say no, we have to wait until we uh, get settled. Yeah. Then uh, the other guy was so lucky. We went to him and talked to him. Mister Mister Nasolo is also in the northern. He said yes, we I need it now, and and uh, good enough. Uh, we just give him um, 
a flame of the trap, and then he set it on his own pockets, which is uh, give it we give it a go. So so far, and then we raise money from our pockets, and then we manage to set another trap. So we so far have two. Mm. One is uh, at the 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 Mnalani Beach Cottage to Mr. Nassau, who's mm-hmm. owner of the Mnalani Beach Cottage in Nongui. Mm-hmm. And then we, we have another one uh, with us uh, at a at a city uh, city center of, of Zanzibar, Stone Town. Okay, okay. And what have the numbers been like? How many how many crows have you managed to trap so far with those two traps? Have you an idea of that? Mnalani ones, they just stop because they they said they need uh, somebody to be employed so that you can. Uh, it can um, operate the, the 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 trap so right. that uh, you say no we, we it should be somebody to look after the trap so they don't have time uh, when when the birds they're in the traps then uh, in the waste management uh, to take the tra- to take the birds they don't know where then i have to 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 inject money to employ somebody to look for the trap the same story we 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 just uh, set up the trap and then we we were just the other trap we just uh, if he's in a, in, a, in a shop, we just want to sell the traps to somebody or to give the, we don't have a, a space for it. We just uh, set it and then we keep it. Uh, uh, if somebody interested, we can sell, we can sell for him. Or if you like, provide us a space somewhere, mm. we can volunteer ourselves mm. to start uh, the, the progress. We really want to start. Fantastic. Okay, so so right now there's, there's quite a strong partnership with, with yourself. Um, with the waste management company, uh, Jamila, um, we'll speak about her in a second, local government on board as well because they want uh, the environmental control and, and with private partnerships as well with the, with the hotels wanting to get on board to control these pests. No, we speak about we speak about the obvious um, disturbance, um, you know, just to the guests and the, and the health um, threats that, that these uh, house crows pose. But what about, you know, how have you found this has impacted you and your ecotourism business and, and, your, and your tours that you've been running? Our school, that being a very big threat, you, you do the birding in the, in the, in the big forest like uh, Masingini. You find uh, in one bird, it's just mobbed by 10, 15 house crow. And, and then the birds, they are not uh, flexible and, uh, and flee to enjoy these uh, mother nature at their flea atmosphere. They always uh, try to dash into the bush and hide. And of which, so we miss those, those beautiful uh, pictures. Normally we, uh, we used to, to, to have them in, in previous time because uh, the number now is high. And uh, they understand these guys, they don't want other birds around. So whenever they see any, any birds try to patch in a tree, they have to push to mob, to mob that bird away. This is a very big threat in my tourism and, and eco-tours uh, for me. Uh, and they really try to disturb the, the bird eggs, the bird nest. So all our natural habitats now are in a very big threat because of this Indian house crow. Well, I think it's fantastic that, um, you know, that, you, that you're clearly so passionate about it, Andrew, and, and, and the impact that you're making. We, we know that this is not... This is not something that can only fall on your shoulders. This needs as many people to partner with you as possible. And anyone who's ever traveled to East Africa and experienced the joys of, 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 um, of the wilderness there and the animals and the birds that, are, that can be found there should be really concerned about this because this really puts all of that beauty and that natural um, biodiversity at threat with, the, with this uh, introduced species of the, of the, the, you know, the house crow. So... With saying that, how can anyone listening to this to this podcast and hopefully this YouTube video as well, how can anyone get behind this project? How can they support this project? And, and what should they be doing? What do we need for this project? We need, uh, as I mentioned before, we need, uh, we need traps. We need uh, um, 600 traps. But also, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, these are very intelligent birds. At the time when the time when the time goes, they will learn about these traps. Then, uh, especially when the number goes down, then we need some other pleasure and some other methodology to apply so that it, we can make quick to take down the number. Then the bounty system can be very nice uh, to apply out when this the project is on the on the running. 
because the bound system, when you involve local communities, uh, especially those ones uh, are, um, running in a street uh, looking for the um, recycling uh, empty bottles. I know those guys and the easy ones. Uh, if you if you announce to the to the medias, because these things also need uh, the publication in the medias, uh, yes. you tell the people to bring uh, live birds uh, for uh, uh, two and a half dollar. People they can try to collect big numbers as much as they can, so that they know there's a daily bread. So in the other way, it's, it's a win-win. We are controlling, but also we let other people um, uh, get something out of it. So uh, this would be uh, the best way. So okay. for me, um, uh, uh, out of the outscrew traps, and then we also need to upload to do some other approach for controlling these birds, and we use the bound system, which okay. is a uh, uh, giving the local community, we give them money, which okay. is two and a half dollars. Fantastic. Okay, and if anyone is listening to this um, to this podcast and they want to uh, link up with you and they want to come on a bird tour with you because you you know you're a fantastic bird guide, I can I can attest to that. Uh, you knew all of the birds and you knew knew where to find them, not only on Zanzibar uh, but also the mainland of Tanzania, which is your bread and butter. Uh, how do people get in touch with you and where can they find your, uh, you know, follow your work? I have my WhatsApp number, which you can directly contact me with a Tanzania code. Start with the plus two, five, five, seven, eight, four, four, nine, zero, three, double, nine. This is my WhatsApp number. I can repeat it again. It's a plus two five five. That's the Tanzania code. Then seven eight four four nine zero three double nine. That is my direct WhatsApp number. But okay. also, I'm available in the in the in the in the Facebook. Uh, you can search me. Uh, you can start search me. Uh, Birdwatching Zanzibar Tanzania, and you see the picture of Mask Bobby. In my in my in my profile picture, and then yeah, you see me there. But also, I'm I'm I have a website as well. Tanzania Birding, Tanzania you, you can you can also reach me through the Tanzania Birding, uh, and and you have my detail there. Fantastic. So the best like to go through my WhatsApp, and then and then further detail. Uh, I'll give you this the, the further detail through uh, uh, my birding safari. It's uh, one of the fantastic uh, tailor-made tour that I, I launch from um, from the mainland to the to the islands. And the idea to connect both two, you can do birding and mainlands. Still, you need to do the islands because in the island of Zanzibar and Pemba, there's a four endemic species. So to complete the whole thing together, then you have to do it the, the island as well. Tanzania it has 34 endemic species. And you get 30 in the mainland, and I have to get four to the islands, um, and you connect up. So it's not only about birding, but also for the wildlife too as well. Yes. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time, Andrew. I'm sure we're going to hear from you again in terms of following up on this project and see how it's getting on. And um, like I said, to all the listeners out there, if anyone wants to get in touch with Andrew, I can highly recommend him as a local guard. You would be supporting the local economy by supporting Andrew. Um, he knows his birds, he knows his animals, and you feel 100% safe and comfortable when you're with him. So I'd like to thank you, Andrew, for your time, and uh, thank you to all the listeners. And, um, yeah, until the next, uh, the, the next follow-up on this, on this call, we, we look forward to chatting to you again. Before say before say bye-bye for you, maybe I will just make you a few uh, uh, communicating birds call. You are with me in Tanzania and you have the bird in Tanzania. Most welcome. Fantastic. That was excellent, Andrew. Thank you so much once again. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. 
Be sure to head over to our website, www.theburninglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.